0: Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast. Christian thinkers finding their place at the table of communication scholarship. Before we begin, the views and discussions of this podcast do not necessarily reflect agreement with the views of Martin Luther College.
1: All right. Good to be with you, John, as always. um, Should we pray? Yeah, we shall. Let's pray. Okay, let's pray. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their food at the proper time. Thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I was going to tell you earlier, I almost was late to our appointment because I had to listen to a certain song for about the 20th time today.
0: You had one stuck in your head?
1: I have, well, I've been obsessed with this. Um, I think one time for dessert, I mentioned this artist. I think I did, called Josh Gerrels. Does that ring a bell? J A R R E L S. No, Josh Gerrels. Okay, well, anyway, I we just stumbled into a Christmas album he has from a few years back. it's called The Light Came Down. We're on Christmas break here. I had our grading meetings yesterday, so we're done for a little while here. And anyway, um, I'm obsessed with this album. So I would suggest listen to the first song. Listen very carefully. Like put, put headphones on and just actually um, immerse in it and see if you don't love it too. I mean, it might not be everybody's style of music. Because if you don't like his voice, Josh Josh's voice, then you won't like it, of course. But
0: yeah, <clears throat> well, if yeah, if you told, I would have, I would have. Uh... Got him on. Got permission. We could just play it for our whole audience. Maybe oh, in yeah. a future. Okay. Maybe in a future season of this of this podcast, Perhaps. we'll have we'll have that. Perhaps
1: if you run out of things to say, especially we can we <laughs> yeah, could just, just do that. <laughs> yeah. Hey. So um, I think we've got a nice way to wrap this series on apologetics, um, and we've already maybe previewed it last time. But to talk about narrative witnessing to get them right back all the way to communication would be using gospel stories and suppose other stories too, but especially gospel stories to, to meet the questions people have. Yeah. And so I thought that would be a good devotion. I would just suggest one of the really cool questions to ask, um, like in a Bible study, if you were to promote this method in a group of Christians, it would be to, to take a story and to, after you've read it and maybe studied some more than we will right now, Um, But you would ask, okay, so who needs to hear this story? Or to what good and burning question people have out there, would this story be the answer? Or really an interesting answer. And so I'll pose that question, Um, who needs to hear this story, Um, as I read from Luke chapter... Shoot, I don't have that reference. Anyway... This (laughs) This is <laughs> eighteen, I believe. Oh, is that right? From Luke, is it? Is that right? Luke eighteen nine 18. to Thank fourteen you. is what I'm seeing here. So okay, there it is. So the story is familiar. It goes like this: um, Jesus telling a parable. It says, "To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray; one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector." The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, sinner. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So this is God's Word. An incredibly radical story when you really think about what Jesus is saying. So I've been putting you in the spot a lot lately, John. <laughs> who needs to hear this story? Or to what question does this story have a really interesting answer? Or anything that's just... You want to react to the story in some way?
0: Well, the... <clears throat> excuse me, in answering the question, I think my first default response would be, well, everyone, but that's kind of a, feels like a little bit of a lazy answer. Um, and then, but then also the, the parable that Jesus is, uh, he's telling this to a specific group of people. That would be my second right. answer, which is, uh, the people who felt that they were righteous, but really were, you know, boastful in that or proud. Um, um, those would be the two if I was asked on a test. <laughs> if I, if <laughs> well, I was I think... writing it down last week in your class, that's what I would have put. So how, <laughs> well, you did you, it. how would right. you grade that? How would you grade that? I'll put I mean, it back you, on
1: you took your you took your cues from the text, which is brilliant on your part. So the text is addressed to people who are self righteous, confident of their own righteousness. Which Tim Keller somewhere calls, I think it's in his book, "The Prodigal God," calls that the older brother sins of self righteousness. Um, and as far as if Jesus ever got angry, it was much much more about that than what we might call the younger brother sins of whatever immorality in various forms. So that's right. Someone that just thinks they're fine and, ha- and, and sure. uh, has no need for mercy can be confronted by this story. I've been yeah.
0: yeah, I've been okay. traveling in between the the last podcast that we had and this one, so I haven't had a chance to to watch uh, the chosen but it's on the list of things to do. Okay. And I thought based on that, um, you know, just the initial preview that you gave it, it seemed like there was an interesting, not twist, but just the perspective that these parables are told in as being like almost real stories felt mm-hmm. interesting um, as a way to just kind of place you into this, into the, this setting. And so I, the, the prodigal son is another one of those parables where I wonder if that was like a, yeah. you know, imagine if that was a real thing that happened, you know, I can't imagine yeah. that, you know, of course I think everyone focuses on the prodigal son. It's the, you know, right. the journey that he goes on, um, you know, and the parallels that that has with, you know, the kingdom of heaven. However, I, the other people in the story also or I'd be curious to explore that. Like, I can't imagine, I think th- it touches on the brother, as you said, his sin of self-righteousness, but I can't imagine that the father was all, you know, sunshine and rainbows the whole time about this either. It's not like, like, I wonder if there was some difficulty there, if there was some mm-hmm. wrestling with like, how do you, how do I handle this? I don't know. So I, I, I don't know.
1: I don't know either. I, I like the, you know, the,
0: I like the, the thought of, trying to, well, if I actually have to tell this story, I'm going to have to fill in some of these gaps. And what's a way to really ground it in a way that makes you think about it differently without mm-hmm. changing anything, without changing the message. But that like kind of gives you a, cause you, you told the one like about the good Samaritan. It's like, I'm almost tearing up just like hearing the <laughs> rendition of it.
1: Is... Yeah. It doesn't have to be like putting it in modern terms. It doesn't have to be that we would use these stories in witnessing in the same way the chosen kind of, you know, develops a whole backstory. But the thought of making it fresh, the thought of bringing out what is so challenging and um <clears throat> exciting. I mean, that's that's an art. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, the stories in the gospels or the stories Jesus told don't come with a label quote based on true events. But it yeah. is intriguing to think where do these come from? You know. Yeah. But the the prodigal son. Yeah. I mean, boy. The younger brother just wants his father to go ahead and be dead already, you know, and it's just, it just really is awful when you think about. So you almost can't not provide that, you know, or think about the backstory. To want the inheritance while his father is living, that is a slap in the face, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then when he's received with, you know, he practices his speech and repentance and doesn't get a word out of it, you know. The father is just lavishing with all these tokens of grace, and then the older brother, I mean, the way the story really reaches for that self righteous brother, everything I have is yours, the father said, everything I have is already yours, um, but we have to be glad, and so he's reaching for the i don't know the joy of the older brother you you're missing the party here you're yeah. missing <laughs> you're missing the joy, so yeah, I guess these stories are so rich and so so oceanic, I guess in their depth so with the with the story we read uh the letter the and the Pharisee. So, <clears throat> one way to make it fresh for ourselves is to think of where do we stand in this story. There's a lot of a lot of places to stand as we kind of imagine ourselves in. Are we the prodigal? Are we the Pharisee? Or do we go back and forth, really? Um, there's, a, there's a hymn line in a new hymnal that says, not prodigal, not Pharisee, O Lord, be merciful to me, which suggests that we do kind of go back and forth. And you think about how possible it is to say I thank you, Lord. I'm not like that um, Pharisee, <laughs> you know, which is just really mm-hmm. perverse that we can stand in that kind of a spot, self-righteously playing the part of this of the sinner, which is just crazy that we can be that perverse. But uh, no, I think I think you got the the most useful answer based on what how the story is set up. That it is for the self righteous. Uh, maybe not limited to that. You could think about the person who says, as I heard someone say not that long ago. Oh, if I ever went to church, the, the roof would cave in. And so it's coming from a different perspective than where the story originally yeah. came from. But it's that perspective of, I'm just too sinful to darken those doors. And, well, I got a story for you. I wonder if you've ever heard this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know?
0: I think uh, maybe we'll get to this in a little bit when we're talking about narrative paradigm. But the in a story, especially something like this, the parable has a very stark contrast between the two characters. And I think part of the reason that that's very useful is that, you know, who hasn't been in both of those shoes at some point. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's not that we're reduced to that as being only, you know, you've only ever been this or, or that you can, you, you kind of can stand in all of those different spots. And it, this story is a different, um, has different meanings that unfold as you witness the story from that perspective. So I think,
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, being able to <clears throat> try to place yourself in all of those shoes and, and saying, you know, when what does it mean for me now that I look at it from this way?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a good example of the narrative paradigm when you think about... So Walter Fisher says, what makes stories work? And you'll remember the two key ideas, narrative coherence and narrative fidelity. So coherence means the story hangs together, is really carrying... Carrying the water, one main idea, and fidelity is it just rings? It just rings true. Um, so it hangs together. It rings true, and part of that is the consistency of characters. So both these two characters are drawn in ways that are just completely believable because they they don't step out of character in the sh- in the course of the mm-hmm. short story, but very much are, you know, signifying something in each of them. So it's a great example of a story that has those elements that make stories work. And Fisher would say, then the story carries inside of it good reasons. It doesn't hitch over the head with the meaning, but it carries a meaning inside. Good reasons to be repentant, let's say. Mm-hmm. Good reasons to come to Jesus because, because of how that story turns out. That the, the man who was a wretch walks away with no past. He's just a man five minutes old. He, just, he is the one um, redeemed. Yeah. Well, yeah,
0: maybe we, maybe we can elaborate a little bit on it. Cause I thought that those two ideas I think are the litmus by which not only, um, you know, just the stories that I, you know, go watch a movie in the theater, but also for, Mm -hmm. you know, as we're observing scripture, you can see how these things, um, like hold together or hang together narrative coherence. That's probably the easier one for me to identify, especially if I'm like trying to critique a story. Like I just, you know, I just read a book or I'm reading a short story or watched a TV show. That's one where it's pretty easy to see like there, is there a thread that's kind of weaving all of this together? Is it all pointing Mm -hmm. in the same direction or is it kind of trying to say so many different things that you don't even know what it's talking about anymore? So it's a little easier to do that one because it's a little bit more objective, but the one that I think, uh, impacts me more the one where you really feel it is the first one where it's like when something rings true, there's just something about the way that this is presented that speaks to uh, my existence and experience in a way that, you know, I hadn't thought of before. And so it Mm -hmm. it strikes you, it kind of like wounds you from behind in that way. And so that one's a little bit harder to objectify because it's so tied to, you know, the way that we've experienced stories in the past, the way that we've lived our mm-hmm. lives in that, but it's hard to ignore it when it's happening. So right. both of them, I think, like, together make a really good uh, gauge for, you know, here, I'm going to be observing this uh, from from a specific point of view in terms of looking at the story.
1: Yeah. So I, I think it was kind of a, This story has a deep plausibility. It just... Rings true means it resonates. That there's nothing about the telling of the story that just kind of jars you out of the story. and You realize, yeah, this is just a story, because people don't talk that way or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. Um, yeah, it, it's you got to think about what these things are, so as to try to duplicate them in our own stories. But yeah, I think he really captured something. They ring true. They hang together. Uh, so uh, I've got a book on my shelf by M. Griffin, which goes through. You might remember his name. Goes through. Mm-hmm. Blue Popular book, theories, blue cover. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yep, spends twelve pages or so on each one, and mm-hmm. when he writes about Fisher's narrative paradigm, and wants to think about what story can I use throughout this chapter to exemplify the idea, and he uses the Book of Ruth in the Old Testament. You just can't find a story that rings more true or hangs together better than that story, and so yeah,
0: that'd be a that'd yeah. be a fun one to unpack, maybe just to go through, you know, Old Testament or even some of the New yeah. Testament stories and just like, let's observe this story from the narrative paradigm or maybe some other theory is useful as well. Well, it could be just, just a literary
1: to go, approach to scripture. The narrative approach to scripture would mm-hmm. be, that'd be fun to talk about for sure. Yeah.
0: Maybe we, maybe that could be an episode in the future. We just yeah. hand pick so, a couple of these. Cause Ruth, I remember from your, your dissertation, is very
1: a very powerful, a
0: favorite. F- powerful book.
1: Yeah. So, um, I remember this analogy for movies for no sorry, for miracles. It's an analogy of movies. So you're watching Saving Private Ryan and at the end of that movie, angels descend from heaven to save him on the bridge. And if that happened in the movie, after all that, you know, gritty realism, you'd you'd be ticked off. You'd say, That's that was stupid Mm -hmm. Because you'd say the miracle doesn't fit the story. It's not the kind of story, it's not the kind of movie. As opposed to, um, it's a wonderful life, you watch that movie, and the miracle at the end, you don't react that way. Because you say, it is that kind of movie. And so there was a fittingness of the miracle. And that makes me think of, do miracles make sense or not? Well, what kind of movie are we in right now? What kind of universe is this? Becomes the question, you know. Is it a universe Mm -hmm. that admits God and screams God's name? Or is it one that has shut him out? And you and I, you know where we stand on that. but. Mm -hmm. So that could be an example of a story that lacked coherence because it suddenly didn't ring true anymore, or, mm-hmm. or fidelity. It suddenly did not ring true anymore. Um, but that would be, I'm sure that would take you into all kinds of things, like what your, what assumptions you bring to the story and so on. So it's very, very interesting. So you can, it's like you recognize it when you see it, I think, maybe, that it's, it's got fidelity, got coherence. Not always easy to put your finger on, maybe, until you mm-hmm. think deeply into it.
0: Yeah, and then... I'll, I'll touch on this briefly, but there's also times when the story is, takes on sort of a meta nature where it purposefully breaks these rules in an intentional way to do something. And that has Mm -hmm. a a ringing true in a, in a separate way, or maybe it's just a critique of a medium or something like that. But Mm -hmm. the, I think having some sort of juxtaposition sometimes is also a way to, uh, maybe it's a like attention management, I'm not sure how to speak about it, but like, hmm. for example, this, this story here is a radical story. The people listening to this at the time that Jesus said this parable, this was an unexpected thing that was happening. And totally. that that's not without, uh, that's intentional. What, what exactly was it that would, would have struck them the most about this story? That's just so Probably, outside you know, of that- the norm of what they would have heard usually.
1: I think it might be that you know you and I've grown up in the church, and so we're kind of used to Pharisee as a pejorative oh, the Pharisees, you know these terrible mm-hmm. Pharisees, but to realize that the Pharisees were not that in that time and place. they were the people whose lives were together, and they were the people who were devoted to obeying God's commands and living in his favor that way, and they were the they were the ones who could walk around with their head held high. it wasn't you stinking Pharisee, it was oh, a Pharisee.' Let me find you a good table, you know mm-hmm. and so so that the thought that the Pharisee does not go home justified declared innocent, but the man who has his fist to his chest and can't look up, he only says, "God have mercy on me, that he is the one justified I think it just it is a scandal of the gospel itself, right it's just i mean it is it is the gospel, or we would say the gospel. That the story can't be explained apart from the full gospel of Christ' the storyteller sacrificing himself for both of them, Pharisees and tax collectors. But I think that might be it. How like what in the world do you even mean, Jesus, of these two people that the tax mm-hmm. collectors? So again, I think we grew up in the church. We might think tax collector. Oh, tax collector, you know. <laughs> we yeah. might, I love the we IRS. Might, it's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, no. But we already, you know, we already know tax collectors has also received Jesus' mercy and gathered at His feet and Zacchaeus. And so mm-hmm. we probably have the wrong connotation in our heads for tax collectors because tax collector is a is a traitor mm-hmm. and he's rich off the backs of his own brothers and tax collector because uh, you know because
0: what happened back then was the tax collector was like an independent agent that would mark up the actual taxes and just he's
1: a Jewish guy exactly right who could charge what he wanted to within bounds and then become wealthy himself to do that work and so a Jewish man sits at the booth as as the impoverished Jews line up and and he just imposes what he wants on them and so I mean, you just can't think of someone more hated, more despised in the culture. And so we've got to kind of cast off our filters from our vantage point in history mm-hmm. and think, no, Pharisee, good guy, tax collector, ugh, wretch, mm-hmm. the lowlife of, of society, the hated, the outcast. Yeah, And to think, of, to think then of the punchline, I tell you this man, not the other. And so, as I say, it only makes sense in terms of the storyteller, the one who tells the story what we know um, <clears throat> from our vantage point, he would he would do to make that true, yeah. to, to, to have the pleasure in his eyes of saying, um, you're forgiven, you know, to the worst of sinners, which we consider ourselves. And so, it's hard
0: to, or maybe we touched on this earlier, but it's hard to imagine what would the equivalent of that be like in our culture. Right. And maybe, maybe I think, it can go too far of trying to modernize the parable or other stories like that because it maybe starts to fall apart a little bit. But I'm trying to think of in this specific case, like I'm trying to think of like a type of person in society that's universally, you know, looked frowned upon in that way. And that it doesn't seem it's, Few yeah. and far and between le- have such a like heinous crimes or, or like
1: legitimately frowned upon. I mean it, yeah. you're right, it does change things to make it a drug dealer. Someone smelling crack cocaine to children at a grade school. I mean, but but you're right, looking for a class of people, not just some one figure that would be emblematic of that kind of societal. And it, our
0: culture is not, so uh Multifaceted, that almost all of these sectors, maybe some group of people would have a unanimous, you know, dissent. But uh, to find that culture wide might be hard because that same mm-hmm. drug dealer is, you know, idolized in maybe some music or or a certain culture as well. So right, right. It, it's hard to find something that's just unanimously, you know, everyone who hears this would would find it or it would strike them this way.
1: That's why I. You know, my dessert last time was The Chosen, the TV show. And that's kind of why, part of why I love it is they don't feel a need to modernize, but they mm-hmm. still make it very fresh and real. And this, the scene of the calling of Matthew, a tax collector, is just one of my favorites. It's just, <laughs> I can't even describe it, how, how good it is. But it's this character you've come to kind of sympathize with by then. And Jesus is walking away, then pauses, looks back at the booth and says, Matthew, son of Alpheus." follow me, and Matthew's like, me? <laughs> like he, can't, he can't believe he's being called. But then he's heard enough about Jesus to just give the key to the Roman and lock up. And mm-hmm. I'm not giving it justice. It's just really good. What I like about it kind of came up in my mind earlier as you were talking is someone has kind of described it this way. As you're reading these stories, like the Gospels, you want to try to avoid the fast-forward and the fast forward is when we say in our minds, yeah, well, we know how that all turned out, but the people who were there did not know how it all turned out. And so they lived in the fear of this circumstance or the or the pain of that one, not knowing how it would turn out. And so I think about, I love your question about, like, how did ancient ears hear these stories, not knowing how it turns out, that when Jesus consummates his mission and and dies and rises for the right to say to Pharisees and tax collectors what he says. So it's really interesting. Um, it's, it's good stuff. Anything else you kind of notice about the story that maybe hasn't struck you before in this way? I've got a couple of thoughts, but if you have anything.
0: Mm, I'll, I'll keep thinking. Maybe you go, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. Try to find, I'll try to find something.
1: Yeah, one, one is just the thought that Pharisees are not very nice people. There's really something unkind about the character you know Jesus Jesus can do a lot with a few words and and the way that Pharisee the character is drawn is just oblivious to someone in the room with him who is just in agony He doesn't care. in fact, he chooses to use um, the tax collector for his own game of comparison mm-hmm. to vaunt, to vaunt himself, and that 's just cold if you think about it, and the other thing is. The brilliance of the story to me ties to how the Pharisee is keenly aware of the tax collector. He's keenly aware of him. He's kind of, you know, again, figures prominently what he has to say. Um, the tax collector, meanwhile, seems to be oblivious to the Pharisee. The tax collector is alone with God in that moment. And, and that's just quite a stark difference in sort of capturing something truly religious about the tax collector but he is alone with God and it's being alone with God that is what consumes him with his unworthiness. And that's just a, a you know, it's just features of these stories that you notice he had maybe hadn't noticed that you'd heard the story your whole life. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's what I, like I, that. that's what
0: I got. Because it's easier and maybe this is, you know, our hindsight is 2020. We've heard the story many times. We've been in all of those shoes and we know how, how it all turns out but um that being able to resonate with the you know the quiet moment alone not not needing to compare the comparisons you know mm-hmm. with the only one that matters yeah which is the exactly one that you're right. talking to
1: exactly right there there was a movie so the chosen makes it I think, like I said, this makes you think about the relationships among the disciples because there was a zealot there, a Roman hater, and there was a tax collector there. Um, so one movie I saw way back when that had the prodigal son story that you brought up, it just really brilliantly casts the issue as Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector, Levi, have finally busted out into an argument about where they come from and, and how they really have been schooled to feel about each other over their whole lifetimes. And in that depiction, it is then that Jesus steps in, and i got a story to tell you, and it's the prodigal son, Mm -hmm. which is is just brilliant. I mean, it's just a brilliant thing to think about those two positions. And Tim Keller's book really makes a nice observation that both the older brother and the younger brother both had the same underlying spiritual issue, and that is that neither one um, saw the heart of the father. Neither one saw it. Not the older brother in his slavish obedience, not the younger brother wanting, wanting to get away. Neither one saw who the father was. And then the younger son does. And the older son, it just ends with this genius cliffhanger. What's the older brother going to say mm-hmm. to the to the speech of, about how you're missing the party we had to celebrate? And that's where it ends. So, I mean, it's, it's oh, it always sounds strange to say Jesus was a genius and is a genius, but... <laughs> But that is, that is some good storytelling, man. Mm-hmm. So, Knowing
0: when to leave things as a question mark.
1: <clears throat> yeah, where, where to leave it, exactly. Um, just to get all the more under our skin. I mean, some, some think the Particle Sun is simply the greatest story ever told. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see it so, um, again, how the gospel is, how you make sense of it, which is the true greatest story ever told. But it's up there. You know, mm-hmm. it's re- it's really up there. It's so short, but, um,
0: yeah. Did that, you want another, that's another interesting angle to take when you're looking at, uh, you know, how a story hangs together or rings true is just to mm-hmm. look at what isn't being said. Mm-hmm. Like if you, you watch the whole thing, you see how it all plays out. Now you can start to fit like when, when would you have known that this information was available that you could have said, but you, you tactfully, or you know, perhaps wisely even remove that or don't don't reveal that right away,
1: mm-hmm. right. And so, I think the "where do I stand in this story?" question is not something original with me by any means. That's that's just one of the ways to engage with these stories. And I think the cliffhanger ending helps you to consider where you stand. Am mm-hmm. I that? Am I that person? Mm-hmm. You know, would I would I withhold grace? Would I? Do I fail to see the joy of someone else who isn't like me at all or who is messed up in ways I haven't when, they, when the lights go on for them? How do I really feel about that? So, yeah. Great stuff. I was wondering, do you want to uh, step back a little bit and just do more big picture in the narrative paradigm? I mean, that would be review from an episode years ago that we did, an early episode or series of episodes on story. But maybe we don't need to.
0: I think in in terms of how it relates to apologetics I think the looking looking at the big picture like you know the narrative fidelity mm-hmm. and narrative coherence I think says most of what needs to be said I think there there's a lot mm-hmm. more that you can go into mm-hmm. you could define like what exactly is a story what are the four different you know qualifiers that have to get checked off before you can say that this is an actual story or is this uh mm-hmm. is this just a mm-hmm. Uh, is this something else? Um, sure. We can refer, I suppose, can, listeners
1: back to earlier episodes if they want to go find that. There's, yeah. there's more there. It, it does, in a big picture way, kind of set the stage or, or let's say kind of makes the argument. So why is a two-minute story, let's say, wrapped around a, a, a central image or, or truth? Why is that when it's done well, which is what Fisher can help us understand, why is that when it's done well? simply put, the most powerful communication form, if Fisher is right. And so Again, yeah, you're right. We don't have to go make that argument again. It's it's there in earlier episodes, but mm-hmm. it does kind of speak for what this episode is is going to be about about ultimately, which is how do we actually use these gospel stories to answer people's questions? Um, or how might we think about training people or ourselves to get better and better at that. And so those are the questions that I kind of have in my head um, as we move along.
0: Yeah. It's uh, because when this comes down to, um, you know, the pragmatic view of this is like, okay, so now I'm going to take what I've observed and witnessed and learned from, you know, using the narrative paradigm to analyze how stories in scripture are told. And then how do you now apply this to, Perhaps a story, you know, uh, your your own witnessing. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's not by telling a two minute parable. I think that's a bit that's probably not the the way to make your make your own parable as a form of witness might be a, a an interesting one. But I'm maybe it's not off the table completely. But it's not <laughs> certainly the natural way to 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 witness. But when you are witnessing, even you're just relaying, you know, your history, how you've known christ how you've come to faith Mm -hmm. um even that is a story by itself
1: yeah so so then
0: being able to uh, apply some of these things helps um bolster like it's just like a maybe a sermon is also interesting too because that's another time where a lot of times you you do end up telling this in a narrative type of form or it takes that aspect for some portion and it's it is a Maybe maybe I'm off base here, but it it is like an art form almost. It's like a it's like a gift of the spirit, I think. And it's it's a when you can tell a story really you. really well, it's a it's a really beautiful thing. And it 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 isn't the gospel itself, but it does help convey that. And so that's a it's a it's I'm a worthwhile you. thing to pursue as a skill.
1: There's a there's a homiletical scholar called Eugene Lowry, who has a book called "The Narrative Plot," I think it's called, which is a preaching book, and he's not saying turn the whole sermon into a story. What he's saying is, let's think about why stories work, and then let's build those features in. So, for example, to start a sermon with what he calls a homiletical bind. So, homiletical bind is some dilemma that the your scripture text itself kind of. Brings up that you would start by and it's a thing that has a quality of once you hear it you got to know what the solution is you just can't not listen for how that thing resolves Mm -hmm. and if you can then have a reversal a gospel reversal that people didn't see coming so it wasn't formulaic and predictable that can be really powerful but it's just exploiting uh, what stories are and how stories work with that element of dilemma um what's an example i hadn't thought about this um so here's a bind. A bind would be Christians are called to be witnesses. In fact, they're really defined as Christ witnesses. What do you do with the Christian that is not that is not witnessing? What do you do with that? How do we think about that? And so again, it's an example. Once you hear that, you might find yourself. I gotta know how that the answer is because mm-hmm. that's a troubling question. And then. Lowry's method would be then, okay, now we're going to go into the scripture and see that bind deepened and even worsened in the scripture. So um, Israel was meant to be God's beacon, his shining light, and it never was in their history, only for brief exceptional moments and people. And so we know what happened to Israel. Um, We could be in the prophet Isaiah and talk about this, and we know what happened to Israel. So the bind has gotten worse. but then the reversal is that the text you might be talking about is the father saying about his son in prophecy, here is my servant whom I have chosen, my holy one in whom is all my delight. And it goes on to say Christ is the light. And, and Christ is the only, only one that ever lived up to all that hope and promise. And that, that Jesus is Israel reduced to one, the only one who could bear the burden of that total ambition of the father. So that's the reversal, is it's Jesus is the one Mm -hmm. who is the witness to God in this world. And then come full circle with, now, what do we do with a Christian who is weak and isn't speaking? And there's lots we can say about that. Yeah. Um, If you came to communion today, then you were declaring Christ's death until he comes. So don't tell me you're not a witness. I know you maybe aren't content with your witness, but... So the, the challenge would be in a sermon like that to come full circle and, and yeah. resolve the dilemma. But but so that's an example of just studying what story is and then kind of letting that give you some cues for how to mm-hmm. shape a message, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, and it has that coherence, I think, that... Totally, yeah. Um, that, yeah. you know, gives you... I mean, I don't want to say it's a three-act structure, four-act structure, anything. you can break it down yeah. however you want, but it does have... Uh, coherence to it. Cause the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the contrast of that would be, you know, sometimes there are, you know, if the sermon is just a stream of truth statements that
1: and it's not a you know, sermon, com- and it's not <laughs> a
0: sermon. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. coming from, you know, you know, going through each passage and then all of the things that you can say that are true about that and continuing on, it's, it's, it doesn't hang together as well as mm-hmm. when you can, relay a lot of those truths in a, in a connected way instead of a disconnected way.
1: Right. Well, and so, you know, we're not going deep into Fisher here, but because it's review, mm-hmm. but he thinks of people as homo narrants, right? So the storytelling creatures hardwired for this kind of communication. Mm-hmm. And so it just, just kind of makes sense that story would be, would resonate. It's the most like life and coming at us in a sequence and, and, that children don't need to be taught to do narrative reasoning; they just they hear and love stories. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot to commend this. Commend this concept of drawing on the gospels for our material for witnessing. So I suppose I mean, here's the evolution of the idea of witnessing through witnessing through story. So I took a program for public speaking once called the Dale Carnegie. And there's a thing called um, impromptu speaking where you draw a slip of paper, and then you have the time as you walk to the front of the room to write a speech about that topic. And what uh, Carnegie taught is the question to ask is not what do, what do we have to say about that topic. The question is what story can I tell? And then you can find that you've prepared a five-minute speech in 30 seconds when just the story came into your head, maybe a story you've told before. So somehow, I don't think I'm the only one to reach this conclusion, but I think others have. But at the time, it was original to think of witnessing in terms of not what do I say about a given question someone might have, but what story can I tell? And So that's where the idea came from. Um, Yeah, I like that
0: because it, it forces you to. it. It's a little deeper than just saying what you know about a topic. Mm hmm. Versus well, how you relate to it, because it it forces the the person who's hearing it, the people who are hearing it, to place themselves in a set of shoes to engage with it. Mm-hmm. You have to be very checked out to not for a, for a story that has these you know cohesion or um, fidelity like this. To you have to be so disengaged to to not be relating to it in some way. It,
1: it's almost impossible. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. If the story starts out in an engaging way, you just got to know how it turns out, right? Yeah. And, and
0: you can have people can have resistances up, but if you're in, in oh, you know, sure. If sure. you're in just a normal, you know, equilibrium state and you're confronted with a story that has these features, it's very difficult mm-hmm. if, unless you're I actively trying to resist it, I think. To, I, to, to yeah. I mean, to
1: it's, it. if this is just my story, this is a story I love and it means a lot to me. This just my story. There isn't much to disagree with. Mm-hmm. what can you say it's not your story you don't mm-hmm. love it no i, I do <laughs> and so it just comes in a you know indirect communication was about keeping the barriers down i think people can resist still for sure you're absolutely right but i don't know yeah <laughs> i think it, it's like the, the story can still get into to their minds and and like a seed finding purchase you know even if they don't know what it meant they they remember the story it's just Episodic memory is just really powerful. It's just it's the kind of things we, mm-hmm. the kinds of things that are just naturally sticky. And I, you know, as a pastor, it was kind of like I could spend twenty weeks teaching someone how to do a presentation of the gospel called God's Great Exchange. It's wonderful and it's it's great because it's just got such great clarity to it. But that's preparing for one conversation. Mm-hmm. If I can make this connection. For you, then suddenly, the Gospels are an inexhaustible supply mm-hmm. of witnessing material once you figure out that this can work yeah um and and by the way, just I tell my students this just so you know i 'm not blowing smoke at you if, if this ever comes up. You and I admired Christian Trinan, our advisor at mankatos at Minnesota state, mankato mm-hmm. and doing we we said doing independent study with her, I would always um not only prepare a conversation piece where whenever there was a moment for a new topic, but um, I think I told her several dozen stories of, over the course of three, two or three years, gospel stories, and it came to a point where she would ask me for a story. One time, it was uh, her kids were in the back seat saying, she overheard her kids saying, "They say God made everything. Who made God?" And she comes to our next appointment saying, "I bet Mark has a story for that," and so she's been asking <laughs> me for a story. And so, yeah, I, th- I think the one time I got to her was telling her the story. And I think I might have said all this in a recent episode. But the story of the woman, uh, of Mary meeting Jesus at the empty tomb was the one that I think got to her. Mm-hmm. So my point now is just this really can become as natural as telling our own stories as we do in life, you know. Um, and so maybe we'll get there by the end of the episode of how, how this can become natural. Mm-hmm.
0: I think the the... Just to double click on the uh, indirect communication, I think maybe my our favorite topic because we bring <laughs> it up all the time. But the genesis of that idea actually came from overhearing a story where it was kind of exactly. a, you know I'm just taking a stroll okay. in the park and then hearing a story that wasn't even meant for his ears, mm-hmm. and and then it d- disarmed him so much just because of how yeah. how much it struck how much it. Rang yeah. true for him,
1: yeah.
0: so yeah, maybe there's an there. Find you know, a story that is, uh, you know, is there a resistance that a story can't take down? Mm-hmm. I'm curious. That'd be it'd be I an wonder. interesting thought experiment. Is uh, yeah, but then. How much more powerful when you when you have something where the audience is receptive already right, but then you're with still the- you're still trying to wound from behind in some way that is mm-hmm. you know, maybe you're dismantling a different thing that wasn't on the surface
1: yeah well here's an I think here's my first example where I felt like there's something really to this so I'm getting my hair cut, and I tell this story in the first uh, prepared to answer book, but I'm getting my hair cut, and I had a book with the title that had Jesus in the title, which I would often do. And the woman who's cutting my hair is named Kayla. And she ended up telling me a story from her childhood that she had been, I think it was seven years old, and her parents used to fight all the time, just terrible physical fights between her parents. And she was seven years old and had to get between them. Just this this awful episode. She'd already told me she'd never been to church once in her life. Um, But she had that experience getting between her parents. And then that night she tells me she's lying in her bed and Jesus came and sat in her bed and she could see Jesus in the light of her nightlight. Just his profile. He just sat there and waited till she fell asleep. And now this story could tie me up in knots. Like, what do I think? And what what, what, what do I say to that? But what story can I tell? And so I said something, this is years ago, and I'm sure it wasn't all smooth, but I said something like, well, Jesus did come to a girl in her bed one time and it wasn't that she was just kind of dead inside like you were she was actually dead and I told the story the whole th- the whole thing you know you get the, the layers and the details he says she's sleeping they laugh at him he kicks him out all of that up to the Jesus taking her hands sitting by her bed taking her hand and saying little girl arise you know "Talitha the comb. and I'd never told that story before in a conversation I did the best I could and and I just said something like uh, it does come to people who are Spiritually dead. They don't know him. That's might as well call that being dead because uh, the Bible does. Um, and then when he speaks to them, his mysterious love, it wakes them up. And he said something like that, you know, I think mm-hmm. I probably got the cross in there and so on and resurrection. Um, so she remembered that story. And the next time I came to get my haircut, we were talking about life. And then she says, Oh, remember that story you told me? Mm-hmm. I said, yeah. And she said, well, I told my husband. Like, really? She told her husband. And it had already come out that her husband was kind of a scoffer and skeptic and stuff. And so she told her husband this story. And I, I said, what did he say? And she never forget this. She said nothing. He just hugged me. And she said, now he drives by your church site. We had our building project at the time. He drives by your church site just to check on the progress of your church site. Wow! <laughs> then the third time, next time I getting my hair cut, I just preached on 2 Corinthians 5. God was reconciling, reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And she essentially asked me, so what it's all about? I forget how she, how she asked, but it really was kind of a home run because here she's asking me for the truth based on these stories. And so I just preached on this and so I was able to kind of really lay out the gospel in a way that was, you know, with the wordings I liked and so on. And she paused her cutting, and her eyes met in the mirror, and she just said, so there's no hoops to jump through. And I'm like, That's, you got it. That was, <laughs> that was nicely put. <laughs> there are no hoops to jump through. And she became an ardent Christian, and she, she wasn't supposed to have a child, and she wouldn't be able to, and then she did get pregnant, and then she lost that child, and she went through some real, real pain and heartache but her faith was just sustained her. And this was after we, I came to Noam, you know, and we kept up a little bit of a correspondence. So mm-hmm. that just, that was- Oh, that was the from first, your first church? The yeah, church? that was from the church. Yeah, yeah. And so that was the thing that just kind of turned the lights on for me. Like, there's something to think about here. And so <clears throat> I developed a program at our church where we would just, I didn't call it witness training. It was just Bible study but we would study the Gospels a study a story in the Gospels, usually something familiar. And that'd be the first 45 minutes. And so it wasn't, again, labeled as witness training because no one's going to come to that. Right. Mm-hmm. But we just enjoy the story for 45 minutes. Like we talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector. And after that, the last 15 minutes was just a series of questions. So we've already said, who needs to hear this story? And the number two, it was, okay, um, what do you notice about the story that could be especially useful? And number three is how does the story confront us to so looking for law messages? And number four is how does the story comfort you? And then number five is how would you tell it? Like, how would you explain what a Pharisee is, for example, as you're telling the story, a two-minute version? Mm-hmm. And then the last one was who wants to try? And we kind of role-play it. And I'll never forget one time we were role-playing the story of the woman caught in adultery and a woman named Tony is pretending in, a, in the role play to be a woman who had lived a wanton life and, you know, was just mm-hmm. used up sexually and had just done all these shameful things, which just wasn't true at all, but she's pretending to be that. And we're role playing in front of a group of like 35 people. And we get to the moment in the story where Jesus says to so the woman caught, caught in adultery, um, well, where are they? Does anybody condemn you? And she says, no one, sir, because they'd all walked away having dropped their stones in the ground, and, and Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And, and this woman, this upstanding woman with a beautiful life and all of that, just fell apart. Like, and I'm like thinking, we're not role-playing anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it was just another example of, my goodness, these stories have impact. I mean, they just do. And it could be awkward at first, but my question has always been, what if we gave this method of witnessing every chance? Like we did there a year of, or a year, my last year and a half, I think it was, of Bible study, was just all we did. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> what happened was, after maybe a month or so, maybe more than that, two months maybe, people began to come back to the class and say, Pastor, before we start, can I just tell what happened at work this week? And they would just tell these stories of using this exact method. And what was fun was, after every maybe six weeks or so, we would take a break. And we'd use a whole session saying, All right, what are the what are the witnessing challenges we're facing out there? Just tell us what it is and then as a group we would kind of brainstorm, Okay, well, what story can we tell? Mm. You know? And just watching that connection, those lights go on, making those marriages. Like I remember one was, Oh, someone says this gospel is just really for a limited culture. This isn't my culture, it's some other culture. And and someone came up with the centurion servant and you know? And the, the punchline is people come from East and West to sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob And so we just thought, how would you tell that story? And how would that be the answer to that question? and uh, it, was, it was really cool. I don't mean to glamorize it. It wasn't always like lights go on. No, I'm captivating because
0: that itself is a story of like how Yeah, how it came I know, right? So it's just, you are <laughs> just, I've just been sitting here listening and engaged every moment. It's, uh yeah, yeah so, they have that, they have that ability to, really draw
1: in right so another theory that i'm sure is some review but to make the connection to social penetration theory because so this is a set of theories as we've talked about i think that are about how we navigate that boundary between what's public and private so who gets in in what way yeah Uh, but a prominent idea in social penetration theory is story that personal stories are an exchange of friendship and As we get to know people, it's just the most natural thing. They're going to hear how we met our wives or whatever it might be, uh, how we found a job, where they're going to hear our stories. And the way I put it is to keep my favorite personal stories in the same box as I keep the gospel stories, so to speak. So where do I draw, from where do I draw just the richest conversational material? It is that box of stories, really. As long as they're not long stories, you just can't dominate Mm -hmm. conversations by telling 10-minute stories, but a two-minute story. Yeah. Is if you learn how to do it and get better and better at it, people don't resist. I mean, they don't mind being told a story, right? Yeah. And so, again, what I mentioned, Dr. Trinan, is just to say that that naturalness really is possible. You tell me something, you know, um, church is full of people that are just so full of themselves. They're just so self-righteous, and they just can't be around that. And For sure, and I say, you know what? I wonder if you've heard the story Jesus told about that because yeah. I think it bothered him more than it bothers you that that's true. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard this story? And and in my, I've never heard someone, I've never told a story in my life that people already knew, and I've never had someone say, "No, nah, I don't want to hear it." So, for what it's worth, is it that to learn that transition? That's a really interesting question you're asking me. I wonder if you've heard this story. Hmm and from from then on i think it just takes some practice um, cuz that i think
0: the the opposite of that would be i want to tell you about jesus and that exactly. can be very on the nose it's almost like you can make memes out of that where you you just mm-hmm. someone just blatantly witnessing like a cold call email and but when you contrast that with already having a relationship with this person having a, an amount of Back and forth exchange, you are able to share a story at a thoughtful time as it arises. And it's a completely different, completely different way to, you know, maybe you'd talk about it as like breaking the barrier of witnessing, but it it just, it almost happens by itself when you have Mm -hmm. those stories in the same spot. One of my favorite, I'm not sure if this was another thing from your dissertation, but I remember one time you had laid out this thought experiment where (coughs) it was, imagine if you had, and this is related to social penetration theory, I think if you, if you could list out every objective thing about a person that, that you knew, if you could just make an exhaustive list of everything that was true about this person, but then also compare that with, if you told a story about, an experience that you had with this person, you would capture something that the list couldn't do mm-hmm. by exactly having the right. story that's there.
1: Yeah. It's and so, so interesting there,
0: to, to quantify that gap between just factual things and how we relate to things, mm-hmm. which
1: is through the story. Yep. It, it brings you something else that can't be told by a list of facts. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and yeah, so that's very, kind very, of the
0: way that we can, we naturally share these stories about ourselves as we get to know people better. Mm -hmm. And so part of that breaking, you know, getting further in the onion of, you know, complexity Mm -hmm. that all of us have when you're doing that with, with someone who hasn't been at that layer before, you're usually telling it through a story. Mm -hmm. And so it's natural then that we would share Christ in the same way.
1: Right. So I, you know, I'm open to anybody who would, saying what they don't like about this particular strategy or what the limitations might be, maybe put it that way. Of course, one limitation is you'd have to know these stories. I mean, you'd have to know a a full wealth of them to be able to ask meaningfully, so what story can I tell of the wealth of stories that I know? And to live in those stories and to love those stories becomes sort of a prerequisite. But but the fact that this culture is, is going to become increasingly less biblically literate It already is now. You knock on doors today and you might find still people who will say, yeah, I went to Sunday school when I was a kid, but are you taking your kids to church? No, no. And so a a rising generation, an expanding population that just, these are completely untold stories and therefore completely fresh and radical. And as we said last time, no one, you love Jesus or you hate him or you're afraid, but nobody walks away yawning because um, he's just, he is who he is, right? Yeah. So yeah, I to keep to, to live in the story of the woman caught in adultery, to really have that be my story is what makes it possible for her. the same naturalness of how I met my wife comes out, as I said. And have you heard this story? And and to Oh, tell it's been it a with, minute since I've heard it. Some that. layers and textures, yeah. Oh yeah, well that's another episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <maybe>. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How I tricked a beautiful woman into marrying me is another episode. <laughs> I, you know, I don't I, I don't want to suggest for a second that I'm always smooth in this stuff when I give my examples, but I remember one time, um, I'd forgotten, I hadn't thought, thought about this in years, but I was sitting at a bar with my congregation president. We were there for a meal, but we had to wait at the bar, and so we're at the bar. And the guy next to us strikes up a conversation. So who are you guys, or whatever, what are you doing here? And I just kind of said, I'm a pastor, here's my church president, we're just talking about, you know, business mm-hmm. of the church and he said "Ah, I don't have time for all that stuff he said the church just wants your money and so I had a chance to show my stuff in front of my president <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I said look can I tell you what giving is all about and I said you know Jesus would would tell his friends do you think how do I tell this story the disciples mm-hmm. not friends he would tell his friends he's, he was going to die in the coolest way possible and, they, and then rise and, but they could never hear him that was just, just said, no, 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 no that's not going to happen. But there was a woman who heard him, who really heard him. And one day she burst into a gathering with this incredibly expensive jar of perfume. And she busts that thing open and she pours it on his feet and his hair. She actually wiped his feet with her hair. And someone said, what a waste of money that is. This is kind of what you might feel about giving in church. What a waste to give to this. And and Jesus he said, leave her alone. People will people will talk about this as long as they talk about me, which she did, because somebody finally heard him, and he said, she anoints me for my burial. And I said, that's giving. And if that isn't how you would give if you came to my church, we don't want your money. We really don't want it until the day you, comes along when you can't help but give it. And so that was an example Which mm-hmm. is okay, you don't have to have told that story before, but. Well, story can kind I of tell? That's what comes to mind. So you just give it a shot and you take a deep breath and out comes the first line of story. You hope you can talk tell it coherently and all of that mm-hmm. without any practice. But but again, back to Kristen, she, no one gave me more practice than she gave me in, in this idea. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. So any challenges or limitations that you would I to honestly the... bring up?
0: It's related to the knowing the stories ahead of time, but the mm-hmm. the layer mm-hmm. beyond that is knowing that this is a story that you can tell when the topic at hand is about giving about, you know, stewardship, right. Or <clears throat> right? whatever topic. So relating that, that the topical appropriateness of any one of these things that, you know, would bring cohesion also then to the, you know, the situation that you're in as well as the 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 scriptural story that you would say, that I can see right. as being a barrier that, because I, I I recognize all of these stories, but to be able to say them with that detail to, you know, she anoints me for my burial. I don't remember that off the top of my head. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, those those types of things that... um
1: Well, that's why there is power in the Bible study idea. Mm-hmm. And not only to have thought through a bunch of stories, but... But uh, I think I probably told The Woman Caught in Adultery more than any other. Something about that story just works for me. So mm-hmm. you can develop a repertoire and, you know, finally, like the Pharisee and the Publican, that's a story about what the gospel actually is mm-hmm. and its radical nature. So like The Woman Caught in Adultery, where Christ himself is the one not condemning. My goodness, how can he say this? Um, you can develop a repertoire of... of uh, solid stories that will apply pretty generally too. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I mean, that's the, that's the challenge is I'd have to know the yeah. stories and, know and then them well. to, to, to make
0: the connection immediately on the spot when that comes up.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: But that doesn't um, always have to be, it doesn't have to be, as you said before, you know, I'll, oftentimes I'll, I'll, try something out in an apologetic conversation and it falls very flat. <laughs> it's not always a, it's, it's not like just win. tell a Bible story and uh, <laughs> everything's peachy. It's not like, it's not like that at all, no, but, it's, it's but still it does, a win, it does, no. it does help um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to have that in, in the the repertoire and then yeah, the I, failure you probably learn from just as much. The other thing totally. I think is really a, <laughs> not to, divert away from, you know, the potential limitations of using this as like a apologetic paradigm, but learning these stories is probably just as beneficial for your own faith as it is for the people probably, that yeah. you would be preparing it for. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that way.
1: Yeah. That, you know, our related theory is Brenda Durbin's sense-making theory, which is that we have core beliefs about our life and we have experiences and we constantly need to make those work together and not experience cognitive dissonance. And so the idea is that we can, that the way we feel makes sense in the way we tell our story, where we feel about life makes sense in the way we tell our story, and that we can learn to tell our stories in ways that draw Christ deeply into it, and because he drew us into his story. And so this whole idea of connecting to the gospel narrative, the inspired true stories of Jesus connecting in that kind of deep, visceral, almost existential way. I think you're right. That is a benefit in its own right, apart from the utility or the pragmatic use. Um, Yeah. And so I coined the term, this came up earlier, the apologetic of the word that I want to develop. Well, this is right in that sweet spot. The apologetic that lets the word of God kind of shine because these Gospel stories are, after all, the Word of God, even when they're paraphrased. Even as we paraphrase, if we're capturing the the meaning in a faithful way, then that is the Word of God, even in paraphrase. so, one, one practical concern a person could have is that when you're telling stories, it can be just too long of a turn, because the stories can be maybe more than two minutes. But in my experience, it can become a conversation. It doesn't have to be a monologue. So you tell about the Pharisee who goes to church, and and he, what he praises, is, thank God I'm not like these people around here. You know, and I would say, isn't that kind of what you're saying? They kind of react to the church that way, that that's the picture you have. And I can throw a question in and we can, it can be a back and forth. It doesn't have to be a monologue. That's another. Uh, but that comes with practice, too, that you can kind of think of it that way. I yeah. To, I don't, don't have to memorize a story and shut you up while I tell the whole thing. And it's not a, It doesn't have to yeah. be so performative. I don't, not at all, yeah. But that's that's what, I mean, in a Bible study, you got to talk people into this and ease them into it, that they would actually try to role-play. But but I think that's the necessary element. If I really am serious about this and I want to get better at this, then I'm going to have to get out of my comfort zone in that smaller way than doing so in real life. But I'm going to have to be in a safe place where it's okay to just fumble and stumble. and Yeah. So... So, um I think what I might have said before about the structure of the Bible study, I thought we could maybe walk through that. I don't think we really need to. It's just I'll just say it again. It's it's you enjoy the story in its own right as a study. What do you notice? What's striking you now that's really rich or what's challenging you? And then you would talk about <clears throat> who needs to hear this story, so to what questions is this the answer? And then law elements and gospel elements and Whatever the storytelling challenges might be, like what you'd have to explain. What you could probably leave out and not have to get into. And then to mm-hmm. go ahead and, and practice and So the the Yeah, I mean it would just be simply you tell me church is full of people like this, I just can't stand well, Jesus. I'm wondering, do you know a story Jesus told about that very thing? Do guys go to church? Two guys go to church. They're very different guys. One guy stands up in front in front and says the very thing you're kinda of thinking of, I think. Uh, thank God! I'm better than other people, <laughs> and you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a
0: distasteful thing for Jesus too. It's and usually the times where I find myself in those shoes are just fleeting moments, right? Mm-hmm. And the same with the you know the other side of the story as well. So it's mm-hmm. but it you find yourself there, yeah, yeah, and all of a yep. sudden you and all of a sudden you placed yourself in that story like that, and
1: exactly. So that would be a good conversation at that spot. Is are, are you saying you're never that way? Because It seems like you might feel that way toward Christians right now, actually. Thank God I'm not like those Christians, you know. It's interesting, not to challenge you too much, but, but you know, I guess the part I kind of feel bad about when I hear your question is I, I wonder if I've represented what the faith really means very well. If you never got from me what it really is about, and that's, what, that's how the story goes on. Mm-hmm. There's a guy in the back who is, doesn't take that view. He just can hardly stand himself, and he can't look up. He can only look down. His fist is at his chest, and all he can all he can get out is, "Lord, have mercy on me." And as Jesus tells the story, he says that man went home justified, that declared innocent, like in a courtroom. That man, one who simply said, "Have mercy," and that's what it means to be a Christian. Is to take that view. And how can it be true? Well, it's what Jesus did. So We've already said all this, but I'm just trying to describe how, with practice. Um, it can become more and more comfortable just to use the story as a basis of a witness, yeah, so yeah, that's what I got, yeah, I think that's a good gr- it's a good way to wrap up
0: the the whole topic of apologetics. I think this is episode seven now on the same topic,
1: and we did some earlier ones too on this topic, yeah, so. But again, I'm glad we came full circle to, okay, now how do we communicate?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Very good. Yeah. We maybe have an episode coming up uh, in a couple of days about vocation. I know we had that on the table a while ago, but maybe the stars have aligned.
1: we we'll Again, see. we would <clears> maybe
0: have uh, a guest on, maybe two guests.
1: Guests or we two. We'll see. There- uh, we'll
0: see our next episode. We'll, well, there's still a few things as we're approaching uh, the right. Christmas right. schedules and all of that, but that might be the next one. And otherwise I think, you know, even beyond that, we've had quite a few ideas for one of my favorites for a new episode would be just to take out all our favorite books and stack them up and then just talk about <laughs> each one.
1: But, <laughs> that would be too nerdy, too much fun. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I also like uh, going through the, uh, you know, stories of, of the Bible and just doing almost like the the almost exactly like this Bible class that you did,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. Just that maybe could be to, tons to of bring
0: fun. yeah, bringing a couple. Maybe there's some different things that come come up right. instead of using the theory as the basis for you know what scripture applies to this. We can go the other way around.
1: Yeah, it's just that like, would be the same super question fun. of of why do it this way when it comes to biblical yeah. communication? Why, why this way? And uh, yeah, beautiful question yeah I'm kind of full, but I could probably squeeze in some dessert. I, I think know. I could squeeze some dessert in as well. What do you have? What do you got? Okay, so if i if memory serves, I mentioned in the last episode that I was going to a murder mystery mystery party. Well, that has happened. um and you're still here. I had more fun than I've survived <laughs> yeah. I had more fun than I thought. so you got one coming up, so I'll just tell you my experience. It was a Christmas theme, of course. So they were iconic Christian characters we all had to play, like Scrooge and the Weird Uncle in Christmas Vacation and the Grinch and the Grinch's Dog and Rudolph and Bruce Willis, character in Die Hard, the classic Christmas movie. So I was Bob Cratchit and Connie was Mrs. Cratchit. And so I had to (laughs) watch some YouTube videos about how to have an English accent. English, English accent didn't get any better. <laughs> so, so I was like, hello, I'm Bob Cratchit. I'm Bob hello. Cratchit. <laughs> well, you know, what was funny was uh, as I, you know, watch these videos and it's all about the T sound. And it's all like butter, butter. And it's about the R's and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of uh sounds like butter, butter, better. And so my pastor is at this party and he wants to do it. He suddenly wants to switch from Bruce Willis to doing an English accent. (laughs) And he says, Mrs. (laughs) Crotchet. And I'm like, who are you calling Mrs. (laughs) (laughs) Crotchett. So it was it was downhill from there because Connie just went on a roll with that one. And she's very funny, you know, and went on a tear with Mrs. Crotchett. So anyway, we had fun. That's very good. Yeah, I, well, I, I found was, out was, all the
0: different things you were going to say about the murder mystery. I did not think English <laughs> accents was going to no, be. The, it was.
1: It the was ridiculous. It. Finally, at one point, I'm kind of slipping in and out, so I finally just said, "I'm going to practice my American accent now." And so we just talked normal after that. But I was surprised that I thought there would be clues that you could actually work with and try to have a good theory about who the murderer was. But it turns out that wasn't how this one went. It was just after the. Reading of stuff and some ad libbing, then you just kind of guessed and made your accusation. So interesting. A little bit. If it wasn't a lot of mingling. It was we were out, we were in a circle the whole time. I took a break to have some great food and stuff, but we were just in a circle, kind of reading parts. And first thing we did is draw draw a slip of paper, whether we're guilty or not. And then we mm-hmm. just read out of, out of a book. And if you were guilty, you read one part. If you were not guilty, you read a different part. So it could have been. Oh, anybody. I see. But Interesting. so it wasn't really a wasn't really a puzzle to work on it was but it was just tons of fun
0: yeah yeah
1: the one I did last
0: year was we it starts off at dinner, so you're at a dinner oh how cool and and then you turn we were all um it was ancient Rome, so I went and found some bed sheets and some purple scarves and made uh I tried to make an authentic tunic. I think I went a little <laughs> i probably spent too much time you, on it
1: you <laughs> you got sucked in, I can't imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah. I even shaved. I even shaved for oh uh, clean shaving. Um, but yeah, I'm sure. Did, did,
1: did you shave in the middle of the meal? Like you did at graduation? <laughs> no, <laughs>
0: uh, no, <laughs>
1: I did not. Says, how did you do that? So at your graduation at MLC, you came yeah. in with a full beard? Yeah. So or just... the,
0: it started out, um, where it was the last semester and I, was in Watertown, South Dakota for student teaching for 10 weeks. And I was only planning on coming home once uh, for Easter, for there's Easter break. So I drove back to MLC, which was quite a a drive, and then all the way back to um, Milwaukee area where my my parents live. And so I went out there and I forgot my razor on the first first stint in Watertown. And so I guess I was, oh, I'm committed to – growing a beard now <laughs> so because
1: because and, they have no razors in south dakota is that no
0: i just i mean this is a quirk about me is that <laughs> i'll just commit to something like that and then just <laughs> do do it so i i was like yeah i'm i guess i'm going to grow a beard that'll be fine that'll be great um and then on the the stint back i i <clears throat> there's like a one so week like, before like if,
1: if you got t- if you got you went someplace and forgot like it was a wedding and forgot your dress shirt, you would say, well, I'm committed (coughs) to this now. I have, I have boundaries. (laughs) No, I, uh, very well, maybe I don't (laughs) know.
0: Some, some benign things I will just, uh, just (laughs) do for like, every, every now and again, I'm just like, I'm going to have a mustache for a month and then it's, it is what it is. I did. So I did that for my driver's license. Um, so this is maybe where the story relates. Is I I have a huge mustache for my driver's license here in Colorado, and then <laughs> the day well, that night actually was last year at the murder mystery, and so I shaved for the murder mystery. From there, so not during okay. the meal, as you said, but
1: okay. But at graduation, you at graduation you, that was you the- left the ceremonies. You walked So in, I walked
0: in and I immediately walked through uh, the side door and which leads to the the basement where all of the locker rooms are for the sports. Mm-hmm. And I had staged a razor, a razor there, and uh, shaved everything but the mustache. <laughs> not my not my proudest moment, but it
1: <laughs> we're pretty upset so, with
0: you. So I remember there was a an usher who was. Very yes. adamant that I be not there right now. You gotta be upstairs. You oh, gotta be upstairs. I was nervous. So I felt like it was a bold. It was a bold uh, thing to do. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was fun. It was a fun little mm-hmm. before and after mm-hmm. to share. So it's now a tradition for every graduation that I go to. That where I'm in the graduation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> interesting. if I do get, um, go to doctorate school, we'll see, we'll see what I can do. <laughs> Pull off the the trifecta.
1: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll be there and I'll hold you to it <laughs> sometime. Yeah. I do
0: have a, I do have a dessert. Maybe it's a little, it's related to what we were talking about before. Maybe the performative aspect of, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of a story. There's a, a TV series that I watched last year a mini series. I think it's just 10 episodes. It's called station 11 mm. station 11. And I think it's on HBO max or something. I can't remember exactly where it is, but I heard about it as a, it was like a post-apocalyptic, you kind of go through a virus, a pandemic that wipes out, you know, this, this pandemic wipes off, wipes out 90% of the population. Almost of technology is gone and so it kind of goes through and tells you know multiple characters from before and after and it kind of jumps around chronologically but it all kind of ties together and it centers around this girl who you know survived the the pandemic and then wound up in i think Michigan performing mm-hmm. shakespeare with a group of like traveling performers and they just go around and they they perform shakespeare but the the way that the characters from before and after tied together the people that meet along the way and there's a there's a moment where the uh there's a estranged son and a mother who have not seen each other since before I think the pandemic had started and they were or for some reason they were rather hostile towards each other and one of the characters being that they play in a shakespeare group goes up and you know has them perform hamlet with one another where one is the son and one is the mother. Mm-hmm. I forget the names of the, the names, mm-hmm. I think Cla- Claudia. No, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really bad with, I should, I should read those stories more often, but, um, he has them perform, you know, a certain section of this play where they're, the, the two are contesting each other and the things that they say and the, the, just the way that that hung together was really, really cool. So that's my, uh, Probably not as good as The Chosen, but it was really good. It's a, it's also it's a pretty quick What's watch. it called again? Uh Station 11. Do you know where it streams? I think it's on HBO Max, but I'm not sure if that is oh, still the case. I'm I'm not sure. I'll see if there's a maybe okay. it will go on Prime or okay. Netflix or something, but hey, yeah, it's 10 episodes s- and not too okay. not too easy to watch. I don't think there's anything too I don't recall anything being too vulgar okay. or Okay. It was just a really, really beautifully well told story
1: okay, I will search for that uh speaking of chosen um since you're not you haven't taken the plunge yet, just search the season four trailer or preview just search. it's only a two minute thing, but you just get a maybe you get a sense of it, yeah, yeah. things are gonna get sadder and sadder. it looks like they're getting all the way to Palm Sunday and maybe oh. beyond it in season four and and so um anyway. Yeah,
0: it'll you be on the, that. it's on the, it's on the next to watch list.
1: Yeah. Well, it's something else that I thought of. <clears throat> so we, you and I heard that someplace, we heard this secondhand, I think someplace is a pastor who uses our podcast for Bible study. And when we first heard that, I mean, we had lots of self-deprecating humor about that. I, like, <laughs> I can't can't believe you would do that and how much work that would be to make any sense of <laughs> what we yeah, do. Yeah. But, but I thought that today's episode maybe could really legit, legitimately be inspiring Bible study. So I, I hope that yeah, it's, it tried, it's tried in more places. I think anybody that tries it and gives it a, really gives it a good chance would be pleased.
0: Yeah, and so my, if anybody would like per-
1: more information oh. about, I mean, there's a way to contact us, right? On any kind of platform that we're using for podcasts? I believe so. Because they would just have to ask, and I would
0: let me double check. Be happy to. I think it's where two or three podcasts at Gmail. I would have to confirm.
1: Okay,
0: I'm looking it up right now. But yeah, that's just, my prayer is is that you know it it's edifying to someone somewhere is mm-hmm. the extent that I am prayerful about it. But
1: well, I mean, you know, when you're a professor like you are, you just that's going to be something you care about. <laughs> so... You know. <laughs> yeah, I think
0: it's where two or three podcasts, everything's spelled out.
1: At gmail.com.
0: At gmail.com.
1: Okay. And I'll have to write in something. I have to
0: remember. Yeah, I don't remember the password off the top of my head. Maybe we have fan mail and I'm just not... <laughs> Responsible (laughs) or hate mail. (laughs) I I only I mostly use this email just for the you know on the back end to get the Mm -hmm. um the podcasts up on the various sites and whatnot. Yeah,
1: I feel like a way to contact us might be useful. Um, Yeah, I will. um, Anything if anything we get into strikes someone as moderately useful. Mm -hmm. All right.
0: Yeah, so I will, I'll make sure I have access to that, but that is the, that is the account. So where two or three podcast at Gmail. Yeah. yeah. And I'll make sure to have those notifications turned on so that. Um, cool, cool, cool. Cool, yeah. cool. cool. We'll, uh we'll see that as it comes through. Wow, this is really been fun. Yeah, yeah. Really good. Yeah. Hello. I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Bob. Catch it. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Uh,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, very good. Another one in the bag. Another one mm-hmm. in the
0: bag. Should we? We should just continue with benign phrases like this for two or a couple more
1: minutes. Pretty good. <laughs> Blimey, I'm knackered. <laughs> Utterly knackered. Vulgurs. I Actually, check that. <laughs> Neckard isn't vulgar in case anybody thinks it's vulgar. It's just, it's not vulgar. It's just, I'm really tired. Neckard. <laughs> I <bought> a biscuit. <laughs> biscuit. <laughs> and I'm a
0: bit knackered.
1: Oh, <laughs> <All> rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> We're not good at this. I'm not good at this. We're I'm naked. really,
0: I'm really very, ba- very bad at it. Oh, you know, what the fun go.
1: thing about going to England is. Someone asks you like to take a picture or whatever, and when you take their picture, they will say brilliant. They just toss the word brilliant around. It just feels good. <laughs> never brilliant. Been called, never been called that before. <clears throat>
0: uh, I don't know. I was, good. You see you hear Churchill do something weird like that. He'd have some weird anecdote and then What what's the one that I saw? Oh, the one I, the one I just saw was Judy Dench actually performed Shakespeare on, I think some, some show where she, they're kind of like reminiscing about her career and how much she's, you know, passionate about acting and all of this This is a very sentimental moment where she pulls up and gives this bit of Shakespeare. And then next to her is, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and he turns to him kind of after the like sentimental moment is like come to fruition and he turns to him and I think you did Shakespeare in a, in a in a movie once too. And he goes, I did. I said to be, or not to be, (laughs) not to be. And then there's the explosion (laughs) behind him. It was just a juxtaposition (laughs) (laughs) that threw me off after one of the greatest actresses of all time performs a, you know, a sonnet or something. It's like moving everyone (laughs) in the audience, almost to tears. And then you get that to follow it up.
1: You know, there is a documentary about Schwarzenegger. It's actually pretty interesting. Oh. Where he comes from and how he was a bodybuilder from a young age. And that was his way to, whatever, hmm. get out. So anyway, but that's funny. Very cool. To yeah. be or not to be. Not to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, that settles that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> to put a button on it. <laughs>
1: Okay, I'm going to turn off the recorder now. Yeah, Wait. I think
0: we've gone on for like five minutes about almost nothing, so. Okay, okay. Yeah, the our best awkward ending to date, and it stops right now.